Today, the world is demanding more of products and packaging. They need to meet consumer demands, be sustainable, and travel through different channels. Simply put, companies that make things need to respond faster than ever to change. So let's go beyond the shelf to understand how industry leaders in food and beverage, beauty, CPG, industrials, and more are driving innovation in their products and packaging. Hello, and welcome to Beyond the Shelf, the product and packaging podcast, where we interview the people behind the amazing products we use every day. I'm Laura Fodi, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Jesse Schwartz, CEO and founder of Strategic Packaging Partners. She's also known as the packaging therapist because she specializes in listening to manufacturing problems and applying her packaging knowledge to figure out how packaging could be contributing and then fixing those problems to increase profits. We love that. Jesse, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate being here. I love the the packaging therapist. It reminds me so much of the radio show Delilah, where she would have people call in and like tell her yeah. <laughs> like their pro. And I'm like, I want to open a packaging hotline and just take take some callers. Right. Everyone's struggling. <laughs> everyone's struggling. Well, first, tell us how you got your start in the industry. I always find that everyone's experience here is unique. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I feel like, especially in packaging, no one really started there. Like, oh, and then I came here and I love it. So I stayed, right? Yeah. So I uh, actually went to college to be a teacher. And um, after that, I when I graduated, I started at General Mills and uh, made my way into packaging there and loved it. So I've been there ever since. So I have about 20 years of experience. And in 2019, I started my own contracting company because I saw the need to really provide the industry with a dynamic resource for packaging engineers and just be able to flex with the business. And now this year we have about six subcontractors that we can help with. And I don't know, it's been a lot of fun. Oh, that's awesome. What were some of the major lessons you talked about all your experience in General Mills? Mm -hmm. What were some of your major takeaways from that time? Yeah, that's a good question. A lot of data-driven results, right? So really kind of pausing, being curious about a problem, and then testing various solutions to find to find the right fit and really being thorough with that, collecting the right data and making good decisions that way. And then also trying to stay ahead of kind of the changes in the industry. So you're able to leverage kind of what's new and next from an innovation standpoint or from a sustainability standpoint um, and just really being a leader, a leader in the industry. Yeah. I love that you brought up data because I don't think this is something, I mean, obviously we're biased here at spec, right? I don't think enough people are talking about this in terms mm-hmm. of the strategic value. And there's just so much data surrounding packaging, mm-hmm. right? There's testing data, you know, results from ISTA testing, there's yeah. specifications, there's machinery specifications. That So when you say data, what were the kind of things you were looking at? And then how did you use that to inform some of your big decisions? Yeah. Um, yeah. Data is everywhere. Right. So a lot of times we're doing plant trials, you know, really getting collecting the right data from there. But I, but I also say that general mills is really solid in the foundational data. So they don't, they don't really need to worry about that. Whereas what I see a lot in the industry is like a lack of foundational data, right? Well, you see that too, right? That's why you're, that's why you exist. So if we could, is as an industry, if companies could just really get their packaging specifications together, even if they can't afford like a, a data management system right now, get everything into an Excel spreadsheet, right? And it can be the materials, the thicknesses, all the properties that your vendor sends you, 
that's on the, the spreadsheet or, or the PDF that they send you, get them into an Excel document, even add like piece weight, right? So like, as you're going along and you see, wow, we have 17 different structures. And in reality, we only need three. Okay, so which three are we going to choose? Okay, these three, and then we can go back and say, okay, actually, now we know the other parts that we're not using anymore, they weighed more, and we can build a sustainability claim around that, right? So that's kind of how data can help in sustainability. It can also help you when you need to do an RFP, right? You didn't even know you had like seven vendors, right? And so you could kind of group your um, purchases differently to save money there. That's that really foundational knowledge of what you're getting now, the materials you're ordering and the corresponding like cube specs that you're that you can get from your corrugated vendor. Um, that's really going to help you kind of understand like, OK, pallet utilization, where are we at? Like if you have a 70 percent like utilized pallet, you should definitely focus on fixing like how could we restructure this pallet to get more on it because we're shipping a ton of air. So things like that would be the the basic level of understanding that everybody should have and then from there you can just build out a huge pipeline of opportunities i agree there's so many different strategies whether it's skin rationalization or sustainability or you know new product innovation that all come from that foundational data one of the things i like to reflect on is is why like how we got here because packaging 20 years ago wasn't it wasn't as complex right and yeah. so we talk, and I know you've seen the impact of private label. So can you talk about, you know, has private label contributed to some of this increased complexity? And if so, why? Oh, man. Yeah. So private label is huge, right? I mean, 20 years ago, it was that weird, like striped gray and white box of flavor right mac and cheese. And that was like the private label, right? And now you have all these retailers that have their own private label. And the way I think about those private label brands is they were kind of startups, right? Like, they didn't really know if it would, they were going to take off or not. They aren't sure what segments are going to be popular or where they should enter the market. And so they had teams decide, okay, this is what we want to go forward with in, let's say, granola, right? And they want to kind of stand out. So then they say, okay, vendors, like, here, here are the four vendors we're going to that make granola. And we're going to ask for this certain pouch size or this certain finish so that we, you know, that's our brand. And it it's it's what we want to go to market with, right? Because a lot of this is feeling your way through, like, okay, what do consumers want? What are they interested in? How can we bring them in, right? Just like a startup. And so now we're coming around to like, I don't know, 10 years or so where these private labels have really um, exploded, right? And so all of these different co-mans are making all of these different products now that have kind of been customized for each of their customers because they also wanted to fill their lines, right? So you kind of like maybe say yes to some things, you know, are going to cause some inefficiencies, but nonetheless, you need to also be viable production facility, right? And so you get all these inherent complexities built into the system, um, just kind of part of a of a company growing from from nothing to you know a lot of volume, right? And so what we're seeing now is is you know so the whole system is kind of seeing the inefficiencies and trying to go after them. Um, I think with the way the economy is now and with just pressures on manufacturing in general. We're seeing a little bit of a change in terms of, I want this, and this is exactly what I want to like, hey, is this the right thing? Should we be doing this? Like, what are you seeing? So it's more, I think we're going to enter into more of a collaborative space in manufacturing where we're all talking and you get the packaging nerds in the room and really having robust conversations, not just about how this product looks on the shelf, but like in total, is the total system the most efficient possible, right? 
And with packaging touching so many parts of a company, it's a great it's a great resource to have on a team, packaging engineer. Absolutely. We've talked about this a lot on the on the podcast where the position of packaging professionals has really been elevated in organizations, especially within supply chain. And yeah. that ha- that wasn't always the case. Right. Um, and so we're, you know, that's kind of a cultural change in the industry of people who were used to literally being last in line in the product development life cycle to now being asked to advise at different stages. And so how can people who are either coming out of school or who have been in the industry for a while, how can they build some of those muscles that maybe they haven't, you know, had a chance to flex before? That's a good question. So I think it's just about like being curious and wanting to learn more. And then as as you as an engineer, as you sit in that role, because you touch all the different areas of the business, you be, you can become kind of an encyclopedia, right? So it's about asking questions because you're not always going to have the answer for yourself, but you're going to know some of the symptoms of the problem. You're going to know operations and manufacturing well enough that you can ask educated questions to those business partners around you. I think for you know for people kind of early on in their career, it's understanding it takes a little bit of bravery to do that, right? And to ask the questions in ways that you're learning also kind of how they're operating and, and what's in it for them too. So you can kind of bring everything together. Um, and then there's just, there's a plethora of resources out there in terms of what's what's coming up, what's exciting and new in materials, but it can also be a little overwhelming as well. And I understand that. So and nothing stays the same very long. <laughs> I love that idea of, of being curious. One of my favorite examples that I've come across, shout out to Jen Blazer, longtime friend of Spec, right? she actually studied forensic science. So she was like, you know, she knows how to do forensic analysis, right? For blood split, for all sorts of stuff. She went into into quality and she was able to identify packaging failures just by like going through and being like a detective, if you will. And I think to your point, like curiosity, it's, it's in developing hypotheses of what might've gone wrong in different points of the supply chain using data to back it up or investigate mm-hmm. because sometimes there aren't simple answers because right. supply chains have become so complex. Really isolating problems, I think, is more difficult today, uh, especially yes. given the interconnected nature of things. What are some of the biggest problems you're solving uh, for companies right now, Jesse? We'll be right back. Speaking of innovation, Is your team spending more time chasing data than on new product and packaging development? Specrite can help. With our specification data management platform, you can streamline project management, quickly build out bombs, and forecast both the profitability and sustainability of your products. Go to specrite.com to learn more. Now back to the show. Yeah, so it's a good question. A lot of solving, like, manufacturing wise, you know, taking complexities out of packaging and making sure that they're using the right materials and making sure, like I said earlier, those pallet specifications are optimized. There's also a lot around sustainability and kind of, I would say a little bit of panicking around, okay, we don't have a sustainability goal. Um, we don't have anything documented and we're, we're concerned about that. Or what does it mean? All this legislation is coming out it's hard to keep track of and we're not sure what to do. So we're, we're helping in that space too. So I'd say those are the, the main two areas, saving money and then sustainability. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been such a wild few years in terms of 
where priorities have changed in businesses. Like I feel like for a long time, it was all about speed of new product innovation. And like, can I get more product in the hands of consumers at the right time, you know, at the peak, at the beginning of a trend where now it's more about cost and margin and preserving yeah. that because of inflation and interest rates. And so I think it just has required product packaging supply chain teams in general to be so much more nimble with their business mm -hmm. and change and changing those strategies, you know, year to year, if not quarter to quarter, which really is different than previous years. And then on top of that, what we're seeing is the regulation aspect of sustainability. It's no longer really about the corporate social responsibility that still exists, right? right. The companies still want to do the right thing, but this is being more driven off of, especially international standards. How do you feel like, do you feel like companies are prepared for this or if not, what are the gaps? Well, I don't think anyone's prepared for it. And it's not just companies. I think it's difficult for companies to prepare for it in general because of a lot of reasons. We don't have like, so you compare Europe with the US. In Europe, I mean, Europe isn't, Europe is like concentrated people in a small area. And they have, they are far more, they are far advanced than the US in terms of how to handle materials. And in the US, you have different facilities everywhere. They all have different capabilities. Some can take this plastic, some can't. And there's just, it's it's chaos, right? Like, so if you think about the H2R icons that are going on the back of packaging, right? They're great. They really help inform consumers what they can do with the packaging. But that's assuming that their area is acceptable, is accepts that material, right? And then other times you'll see like check locally. So then if you have to check locally, then you have to like look at the package and you have to find the little triangle and you have to realize, okay, do I, you know, can I recycle a number five or not? And so it's just, in general, it's just, it's confusing from the beginning to the end, right? So you have companies that are now like, okay, we need to get into recyclable materials, but the system can't really handle it. Um, Coca-Cola is actually partnering with a company to like have a contest to get people to recycle more like bottles, right? Because only 10% of the eligible plastics are actually recycled and end up into a recycled stream in the US. Um, and so it, it feels a lot like we want to do the right thing. We want to get into recycled material, recyclable material, but then we forget or we don't forget, but the consumer is the ultimate decision maker, right? Like if what they're going to do with that packaging. And then you've got the municipal solid waste handlers that are either giving them an option to recycle it or not. And so everything just drops off infinitely. Like when it comes to getting that packaging to a recycling facility, because there's just so many steps in there that are, it's, it's a torturous path, right? Yeah. Um, and what I'm seeing a lot is companies saying, okay, we can't really control what people do at the end with the packaging. And we want to be in recyclable packaging but we realize that it's it's not really going to, it's it's hard to get there for a number of reasons. So I see a lot of folks focusing on reducing material and getting to the right material the least amount possible, because you also have to consider reducing waste as sustainable too. So when you think about the way that the government's kind of mandating some of these things. It's it's kind of unfortunate that it doesn't seem like the packaging industry and like local governments are partnering very well. And I'm sure that there's a number of reasons for that. Um, but 
it's not really a collective effort, right? There's like, again, there's, it's a torturous path and, and it's hard, but start something because you know how we talked about earlier, there's so many complexities in like this co-man space and the co-mans are seeing their customers kind of say, okay, we need this much PCR. We need this, we need this. And it's really overwhelming. But if, if a co-man can just say, okay, this is what we're doing for sustainability for now, then that message is like welcomed by their customers, right? Because at least they're doing something. Everyone just wants to do something right now. I think that's the most important thing is to start something. But yeah, it's to get to, yeah, <laughs> to fix the whole system is a wild ride. We're going to do it, Jesse. I, I I get to talk to so many people in these industry, in this yeah. industry, as much as I know it's hard, I'm so confident we have the right people working on it. Yeah. And the and the right amount of practicality and realism of the problem, which is the first challenge. First off, shout out to our friends at How to Recycle, H2R, yes. for those who aren't in the biz. I love what they're doing in terms of helping consumers understand, helping bridge the gap with brands to make it more, to make that communication more accessible. 100%. That's a huge step. And then one thing you said is really how we have thought about it at Spec, right? Because you know, when I asked our founder, like what the mission was of the company, he was like, we're going to eliminate the world's waste. And I was like, that's a pretty big mission for us to do single-handedly. Yeah. I'm like, go home and sleep on it and come back to me with maybe a different one. <laughs> so he, he went back, this is five years ago. He comes in the next day. He's like, you're right. I figured out, I was like, okay, cool. So I was expecting something like a little bit more. And he's like, we're oh, gonna help. yeah, yeah. I'm like a little bit more closer to you know, to what we can, because I was thinking about our immediate reach as, as individuals. And he's like, we're going to help companies do this. And yeah. if we can help hundreds and thousands of companies reduce waste by not making the wrong thing, forget about yes. even changing out material, like just stop making the wrong thing because you're sharing incorrect specifications that are resulting in producing outdated items. Like if we stop that, we already put a huge debt into the problem. Does it solve the whole thing? Of course not. But to your point, there are so many different strategies and ways we can approach this by geography. So to your point, in Europe, we can be much more advanced with this because they have that infrastructure. So in Europe, we're going to lean, lean, go all in on that. And then in the US, we need to think about it differently. I, I, I think that's where I see packaging really shifting from, you know, I don't want to say tactical, but really to to a strategic function. Yeah. Well, it goes from commodity to strategic. Oh, that's a great point. A hundred percent. Like, and isn't that every person's dream in packaging, right? It's like, it's to get people to see the value of the system and that it's more than just a commodity. I love that. You know, you've been referred to as the packaging therapist. That felt very therapeutic. Like, how did that come about? And why do you think it's so necessary for, for people to kind of have that sentiment today? Well, I think it's just understanding or appreciating that packaging can be frustrating and talking about it and thinking about it in new ways and being curious about it, solving the problem through conversation and, you know, data-driven testing. That's, that's just really important. It's just, it, it's, it's super stressful to be in manufacturing and to have these issues of quality, of downtime in logistics distribution that you just, you want to make it go away. And it's important to pause and just say, okay, what, what is truly happening here? Is, are, is there any other angle that we should approach this from? 
in being kind of strategic about how the problem is handled. Because like you said earlier, it's just sometimes hard to understand and pinpoint where the where the problem's coming from. And I think having a packaging engineer, having that resource that's really thinking from a different, like from a dozen different angles is is super helpful. So that's that's how we approach it. Yeah, no, you're you're spot on. You know, you talked a lot about sustainability and and changes companies have to make. How you know it's it's more than just simply changing out of material, right? And some of these examples, you're really transforming how you operate your processes. It's not as simple as making a switch, or else everyone probably would have done it. Right. So, why you know why is this so hard for businesses, and how can they do this better? This change management portion. Yeah, absolutely. So some of the complexities, again, depending on how you're manufacturing, if it's your own facility or if you're a co-man, what your customers want or what you even perceive your customers want can kind of inject some variability or some complexities into what you're doing because you're testing a lot of things, right? You're not sure what's going to work. So you're you're going to a bunch of different vendors and you're trying to sort things out. And then sometimes you don't come back and say, okay, what is actually the best the best solution or the best option for the product. And so, you know, it's just important to, to take kind of that holistic approach. Going back, you know, to the beginning of our conversation, you talked about the importance of data and the foundation. When we look at emerging technologies like artificial intelligence and deep yeah. learning, how do you see packaging teams potentially leveraging this? Oh, I am following this. I am very curious about this. I there, there's there's definitely it's definitely being used right now in inspections right so pieces for example coming out of an injection molder being scanned understanding if there's any holes or pinholes or defects and being able to reject parts that aren't quality so it's like more complicated and complex than like a check wear, right? You're actually analyzing the piece. But I, I am excited to see kind of how the industry changes around that. And again, I feel like it's a little more on the product side right now. And it's coming into packaging, but it it hasn't really taken off like a ton that that I see, but it's going to. It definitely is is going to for sure. We we have some good stuff on this. So we've done uh, automation for certificate of analysis and certificate of insurance checks. So to your point, we had customers that were getting thousands a day from their suppliers. And do you know how many of those they were checking? Not all thousand. And oh. so we've used intelligent document processing, machine learning mm -hmm. to build models that can read these COAs and just them automatically score them against the spec. And then we just spit out the outliers to then be reviewed by quality manager. Yeah. And that's another talk about reducing waste, you know, reducing bad product getting out the door because you're not using the bad inputs. Like there's so many yes. downstream impacts. And then we have other features coming, which I can't talk about yet, but are very much in the vein of like bringing that experience we've had as consumers, some early exposure to some of those AI features, bringing yeah. that into the world of packaging through specification data. So very excited. Fantastic. Uh, definitely be sure to check out our announcements from spec summit it's happening in a few weeks i'm not sure when we're going to release this but yeah it, it all goes back to data though because it, right. it's it's all about machine learning it's all about your data set right it so is if, yeah if you don't have a great data set you can't then put 
AI on top of it and, and then expect to get insights out of it. Yeah. And I think one area where it could really, you could really leverage is in predictive modeling. I know a guy that does predictive modeling for blow molded plastic bottles. So he can predict, he can say, okay, hey, what are your different designs? And he can put them into the system and he can say, okay, here are here are the 10 designs. We already know based on modeling that these three are going to fail. And then the rest that are left, you know, hey, what what do you think from like a business standpoint? And then um, really being able to get to a place where you have some new solutions that aren't, that are going to set you off on the right foot. And you're not considering those ones that you already know from that model are going to fail in distribution. And so that, that could be, that's going to be really, really helpful for companies as they start, like you said, you know, wanting to be differentiate themselves, but also needing this package to kind of go through the system and then not wanting to waste a bunch of time on something that's going to, that's going to fail, you know? So that, that I'm really excited about because even as you think about optimizing materials and trying to figure out, okay, this is a complex system of there's a carton and a box. And I know that I'm getting compression strength from my carton. So could you get some predictive modeling on what that unit's going to be like through distribution? That type of stuff is is going to get more more accurate. I mean, there's tools out there right now, but I think it's going to it's going to get a lot better. And I'm excited about that because that's a ton of time, right? To do a, like a like a shock and vibration test, you just send like brand new product, brand new package. You got to put it all back together. You got to get it. All. I mean, it's just wild, right? No one's, yeah. got, no one's got time for that today. Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. What a it was such a great episode. I think. You know, the one thing I would add to that is I'm so excited to see so many packaging people getting the opportunity to kind of be technologists. And yeah. they've always had the technology from the sense of like equipment, but now like seeing some of the, our best ideas have come from packaging engineers or product development professionals who are like, hey, what if we did this? Yeah. And that has been, again, just in terms of like elevating and growing the industry. And again, to use your words, going from, uh, you know, just simply being part of a commodity to doing something truly strategic and differentiated. I think the sky's the limit. I'm grateful to have people yeah. like you at the forefront driving this forward because I know there's some big challenges, but I know we can do it. So I'll close that with, with uh, my favorite segment, which is rapid fire. I'm going to ask you a few questions. First, what's your favorite product right now? Oh, my favorite product right now. I'm super into hop water. I love hot water. Mm, yeah. Dry January. All the different flavors. Huh? Is it like a dry January. People have so many options now. It's yeah, like you know, that's true. I like hop water in general, but dry January, I've seen a lot of pretty cool NA beverages out there. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that as well. We just interviewed Trey from Better Booch, and he was talking about like how they've brought more kombucha option. There's so many more yeah. fun beverages in the market. So I love that. I'm going to have to try hot water. I've not had it. Yeah. Um, what packaging trend are you most excited about right now? Oh, so many packaging trends. I love packaging designs that showcase the product in unique ways. So I'm always on the lookout for you know, how the structure becomes part of what showcases the product. And there's, there's some cool ones out there. I love that. And then this is the really hard one. This is kill, keep change. We're going to give you a list of three random products. You have to keep one, okay. kill one or discontinue it if you prefer. And then uh, you got to change one. So I'm going to okay. give you 
I'm going to give you some, some difficult ones. Number one, I'm going to Great. give you Cheerios because that's iconic. And then I'm going to give you WD-40. Okay. And then I'm going to give you, what should our last product be? Something fun. I think a candle. So you a got candle. a candle. You got Cheerios, WD-40, and a candle. You got to keep one, kill one, change one. Yeah, I'm definitely going to keep WD-40. Okay. I'm a huge fan. Only if it has the straw. Because, you know, some cans are just everywhere. Mm -hmm. It has to, And it has to be the straw that tips down and stays with the can. Because some of them have the detachable straw. Dumb. Mm -hmm. Lose it. I try to tape it to the can. Okay. So as long as it's that that one, let's assume it is. Because I'm choosing. Okay, so keeping the WD-40. Candles? Candles. I like candles. What would I change about candles? Ooh. Remember, you got to kill one too. So you not. Oh, you, I know. I know. So I, you I, kept I, the WD-40. Yeah. So now you got your key, your killer, your change. I, I Yeah, I know. I would change candles to be something around like all the wax burning so you can like recycle the glass. Mm. That's, you know, and they'd all have crackle wicks. That would be. That's a good yeah. one. Right. And then. I love General Mills. I do. And I'm just not a cereal fan. I feel like breakfast needs to be protein for my kids. And cereal was a good starter, you know, like the little, mm -hmm. the little fingers and the, what do you call that hand control or whatever, small motor function skills, stuff, small motor skills. Yeah. Small motor skills. That's it. Yeah. But uh, that would be it. I love, listen, I get it. Protein Cheerios. If you're listening, if you're the General Mills product innovation team's listening, maybe protein Cheerios. And if anyone from WD-40 is listening, I think some great uh, tips from a packaging professional on, on how to optimize that for, for their super fans. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us. What a pleasure. How you're can welcome. people follow you? Yes, I'm on LinkedIn and my website is strategicpackagingpartners.com. And I try to post interesting packaging content and helpful packaging content. So if you have any questions about packaging, you can message me. I love to um, do podcasts and articles in LinkedIn about topics that matter to people. So I love it. And for those listening, I want to hear from you. Let us know who should we have on the podcast next. And be sure to rate us on the Spotify or Apple podcast. It helps other people find the show. Thanks, Jesse. Have a good one. Yeah, thank you. Beyond the Shelf is presented by Specrite, the first cloud-based platform for specification management. Say goodbye to spreadsheets, share drives, and legacy systems, and digitize your specs in a secure single source of truth. With Specrite, you can easily share and collaborate on specs with other departments and across your entire supply chain network. Taking a spec-first approach enables you to accelerate product and packaging development, go to bid faster, report on sustainability, and ultimately spend less time chasing data and more time making amazing things. To learn more, visit specright.com. That's S-P-E-C-R-I-G-H-T.com.